I think if anyone wanted to try and model this as as how they're going to build their own club, they better understand the regulatory filings that go along with this. Welcome to the latest installment of Build It. Today we are speaking with our special guest, um, Club Account, DeKalb County United Club Accountant, Treasurer, we'll call him what you want, Brian Van Buren. Hi, Brian. Hi, Nick. And with me, as always, John Hall. Hi, John. Hi, Nick. So, yeah, the plan today is to talk yet more finances, but um, Brian is officially qualified to talk finances as opposed to me and John, who just make it up. So we thought, you know, there's a couple of people asked some fairly highbrow questions. We thought Brian would be the man to answer them. So, first off, Brian, thank you for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be involved with DeKalb County United? I knew some of the the original board members, John included, Colby, Jenny, and, and so on, uh, because I grew up playing soccer my whole life. And most recently, prior to all of this, playing against those individuals in the indoor facility in DeKalb. So, John approached me a few years ago and told me a little bit about what they were trying to do. Uh, I have a feeling uh, just because of my financial background, that's, that's how I really got uh, brought into this, but that's how I got involved with the club. I I think it was very calculated. (laughs) (laughs) Let me jump in. Brian, you should remember that until the five of us sat down at the, at the first few discussions, I didn't know what you did for a day job. I didn't know what Steve did. I didn't know what Colby did. And it just sort of lucked out as we were trying to figure out who was going to take, take each role. And it was, it just kind of, it worked out and it was obvious. So it wasn't malicious. I think it was more that you didn't dismiss us right away. And then we just, mm-hmm. as I talk, I've talked about on recent podcasts, we just sucked you in. And, and there's a, there's an allure to doing something like this, you know, to have, to have your quote unquote own team that you get to run or get to be in charge of or create, uh, however you envision doing it. Uh, you know, that's an attractive thing to do and it's something that's fun and it's been a lot of fun for these last couple of years. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, fun for a person who deals with finances every day is possibly a little bit different from the fun for the rest of us normal people, but we'll tell you what you were <laughs> for that. What was the, what is the allure then? Well, what makes me give up my free time is, is again, a, a joy of playing soccer, a joy of being around soccer, um, and the opportunity to, to really see what we could build here. Uh, never had any experience with this ever before. Knew very, very little about lower league soccer. To me, American soccer was major league soccer, and that's all I knew. Uh, and so a few years ago when I became aware of, of Aurora Borealis and what they were doing, I casually followed along just as a, uh, some interest, but I didn't know anything more than that. And then, so talking to the guys that, that helped to start this, uh, that's what really helped suck me in and, and I'm lucky to be a part of it. We're lucky to have you, I think for sure. What is your official title? Are you the treasurer? I am, I am the treasurer. Okay. Yes. What would you say are the primary roles of the treasurer of DeKalb County United? To be honest, I think the most critical roles aside of uh having some semblance of of what's going on financially with the club is the formal filings 
that go along with having a club like this. So we do actually have tax filings we're obligated to complete. So I work with our accountant and make sure that uh, those are completed in a timely fashion. That's probably the most critical thing I would say that my role entails. I agree with that, except the other thing that you do very well is you keep me in check when I have these gigantic dreams when I'm laying in bed at night and I think, why don't we do this? And I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm cognizant of the money as people will know, but, but I will sleep on it. And Brian and I used to have these commute conversations three times a week for an Mm -hmm. hour. And I would go, Hey, Brian, I was thinking, what do you think about this? And he'd go, uh, yeah, it sounds great, but I don't think so. And kind of, you know, you need somebody, you need somebody that can, um, he really kind of keeps us in check as far as let's not get too big, too fast. Let's control the growth. Let's control the expenditures. Any um, I need, I need that. Cause I'm somewhat kind of sort of like a wild card when I <laughs> think of things and I want to just run with it and do it right away. And he will bring me back to earth and, and you know, usually he usually he's right. And I'm just getting ahead of myself. I, I think though that John and I play off of each other, very well, especially in those conversations, which have uh, uh, slowed down significantly due to COVID reasons and and the lack of travel. But um, I think we play off each other very well because he comes up with these really good ideas. And even if they might be less realistic immediately, we still have the conversation about, okay, well, how could we get to that? And is that something worth exploring? And maybe that's in, in a couple of years. And some of those examples might be going back to some of our earlier conversations, John. Well, how do we start a U23 team? And then how do we start a women's team? And, and just, you know, those took years to put together. It wasn't something that we had planned from the very beginning. It was an idea that we had, but these things don't just happen overnight. You don't just flip a switch and they work out. You have to be prepared and you have to go through uh, projections and figure out how are you going to afford to put any one of these teams on the field or afford to, to implement any of these other ideas. Let's talk, let's talk about that, the under-23s and the, the ladies' team. Why isn't it as simple as let's get a bunch of kids together, a bunch of ladies together, and join a league? What's, what's, what am I missing as a layman? I think the, the biggest thing that you'd be missing on the, on the assumption it would just work is the underlying costs of facilities, uh, game day expenses, referees, and things like that. That's the biggest challenge. And, and John, I'm not sure if you've spoken about this already, but it was very easy from a practice facility perspective when we only had one team we had to worry about uh, fielding. And then we added the, the men's under 23 team. And in our example, the facility allowed for two practice fields. So that was just fine. The first team had a field and the 23 team had a field. But then when you add in a, a women's under 23 team, well, now you've got three teams that are perhaps trying to share two fields at this complex. And if we're being cognizant from a financial perspective on what those rental costs entail, we either need to pick up a, another night of rental, which comes with additional costs, or you need to alter the times that the teams are practicing. There's additional considerations. It's not just as simple as, Uh, Just adding a third team and assuming it's all going to work out, especially if you're trying to give each of those teams a professional experience. If we were just sending them out to the the park district on the grass fields and 
show up when you want to show up. And if you don't want to show up, that's fine too. It would be less of a, less of a concern, but when you're trying to provide that environment that, that puts these players in a position of success, those are all the things that you need to think about. And I'll, I'll add to that too, because not only that, we also deal with all the registration and administrative things that were, were volunteers. We have to make sure that we have the administrative staff that is willing to, you know, focus on, you know, you're in charge of the administrative part of this team. So we made a, like a boys under 23 director. We have a, a women's under 23 director and they kind of are that liaison between the coaching staff and, and the board or the advisory board or whatever. And it's, it's, yes, it's very easy to just pick it, pick it up and let's go. But as Brian said, that professional, as professional as we can afford to be, uh, that's what we want to have for an experience for these players so that they choose us over somebody that's a little more casual. I don't know, I think we mentioned the, the professional appearance time and time again, right? And it appears to be an overriding feature of this club, unbeknownst to me. Is there any logic to the way that you, dis- you dis- distinguish or choose between club wants and club needs? Or John wants and John needs? <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things that is always in the back of my mind, whenever we're having conversations about expenditures or or plans for the future or what we want to do, the thing that I'm always thinking about is how do we come back next year? And does what we're thinking about help us come back next year? And if it's not something that definitively does that, then it's not something that we necessarily need to do. It doesn't mean we won't. It's just not as much of a priority. And I think that's one of the things I, I try and bring to the table that complements everyone else on the board is they come up with these really great ideas. And, and you've seen so many of them if you've been to any of our games or, or you've been around our program. And my sole focus is trying to figure out, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to cost this. We still have X amount of dollars in the bank. We're going to raise this much of the rest of the season. Here's how all this is going to shake out. And we roll around to the following season and we're going to have a certain dollar amount in the bank and we'll be ready to get off and, uh, and finish that season. So that that's my biggest concern because the last thing I would ever want is a scenario where we're flat out of money uh, at the midway point or a third of the way into the season and we just have to call it. And, and that's the end of it. So that that's how I distinguish between those two things. Uh, and I always try and keep that on my mind when we're having these conversations. And there's, there's two good examples of that. I think um, number one, not to start a, a Twitter backlash, but the U S open cup is not important to us one bit and being involved in competitions while they're sexy in appearance and, and to say that you did it and, that stuff's wonderful, but at the end of the day, to Brian's point, if we go on an open cup run in a tournament that, that quite honestly we're not winning and it costs us seven to $10,000 or more to travel all over the country to play these, these qualifying round games and um, that, that jeopardizes our future. And so from a competition standpoint, one of the things that, came up in one of our day trips was um, we decided to start with the Illinois state cup and that's, it's very cheap. Obviously the limit of travel is the state of Illinois. Most of the teams are actually Chicago based. So they're very close. 
we knew that we could enter that competition in 2019. And obviously I don't want to talk about results, but we could have, we could have afforded to compete all the way through the tournament and had a chance at a trophy and not jeopardized next year. And obviously there's the, the uh, amateur cup again, regions bigger travel could be more. I've kind of said in my head and I've said it to the coaches and the players, win the state cup, bring home that trophy. And then we'll look at a ne- the next competition because until we can compete within our own state, why, why do we go compete regionally um, in, outside of the Midwest premier league? So, um, and then the other thing that we that we um, did when we started the 23 programs, um, those are pay to play where, where there's a player fee to help us cover the costs, which is very fair. Um, it's consistent, if not a little bit less than other youth clubs that have under 23 programs. Again, we provide that environment where it's a little bit more professional. On the men's side, there is that first team that they're striving for, and those coaches work together. Um, but one of the misses we had on that, when I when I brought that to the board and said, I think we should start a under-23 men's side, um, I thought that a lot of the players and their families would jump on board and be coming to the first team games and be buying sweatshirts and be, we would see that kind of, um, that kind of indirect growth of the club a little bit. And I think Brian, you agree. We, we didn't necessarily see that we filled a team. It was, it was a good experience. It would have been a, you know, this would have been their second year. Um, we learned a bunch of stuff and, and it went well, I think on the field, but off the field stuff that we thought would have been an indirect benefit didn't really hit like I thought. Mm-hmm. I agree. Kind of what you're talking about, John. One of the other things that, that I've always uh, had on my mind as we go through this through the years, and, and this would have been year three to the point you made, John, I've never wanted to have to take a step back as a club, meaning that I, I didn't want to, to do the open cup in year one, or the state cup also in year one. And then in year two, we can't afford to do either one of them. I would prefer that we're always slowly growing. And even if we, we acknowledge we wanna do something else, I'd rather wait a couple of years when we're financially sound and able to do that versus trying to throw everything we can to come storming out of the gates, um, results aside. And then next year, we can't necessarily do anything. So, so that's something else on that I think about when we're making these decisions. Yeah, I think that's it's it's super healthy, right? It's it's a case of you're not growing, you're stagnating in competitive terms, but realistically within the environment, um, you just don't want to be viewed as being going backwards within the community, right? We did this last year, but that's right. This year, well, why aren't you doing it this year? I that's think, right. Yeah. All right. Um, Without getting into numbers, unless you unless you're happy to, first question: Do we have reserve capital? We do, we do, and and one of the great things about making the decision that we unfortunately had to make this year by shutting down all three of our seasons—not only the first team, but the men's under twenty-three and what would have been our inaugural women's twenty-three—is that allowed us to eliminate all expenditures, and so we basically just kept the money we had. We have some opportunities throughout the year to perhaps add a little bit to those coffers and assure that we're going to be back next spring. And that, that was what we really talked about and why we made those decisions because 
we didn't want an unusual event in COVID to wreck everything that we've been working to build for the last several years. And, and to add to that too, I mean, one of the things that, that I don't know if we've officially said it or not, but Brian and I drive toward, we want to have one season's worth of reserves. So mm-hmm. that's that depending on the number of teams we have, that's somewhere between 40 and $70,000. And we're nowhere near halfway there, but we are, we were, we were chipping away season after season into, into meeting that goal. I made a note here. Um, and Brian, you tell me if I'm wrong. I think that's five to 10 years of, of slow, steady, continuous, you know, being in the black before we get to the point that we have a season's worth of reserves without counting on some sort of miracle outside investment from somebody. Agreed. I I think that's exactly right. And the other thing that John, we've talked about is you can't really become a thing in the community that people look forward to if you're not around. And that doesn't happen overnight. You don't just start a team and everyone's like, yo, this is really great. I really want to be a part of this and I want to go pay to go watch their games. And I'm going to set aside valuable time on my calendar to do that. It doesn't work like that. But if you're around for three, four, five years plus, all of a sudden people keep seeing DeKalb County United, DeKalb County United. They're constantly there. How are these guys always still around? Maybe I should finally go check this out. And you've got your longstanding supporters on top of that. And that's how you become a staple in the community. And once we do that, I I don't see any reason that it would have to stop. As long as we're smart about what we're spending on and as long as we recognize you know, what we are as a club, then we can stick around forever. How are we smart about what we're spending on? Like, what's the accountability? Go, I could go out and, well, I couldn't. Could I go out and buy a microphone for this shitty little podcast? Could I go out and buy, you know, whatever? Could we, Facebook advertising, right? we run that. Who, I know you sign off on it, but who says, yes, we should do it? And bigger items, what's the process for the board of involvement? Or is it just, what, what is the process? I, I think on the the smaller items, if you will, the Facebook advertising, uh, advertising in general, there's there's not a a formal vote necessarily. But if you started going out and someone said, "Hey, I want to I want to shell out a thousand dollars for something, or I want to spend five thousand dollars, or or I think we're going to change the the overall direction of the club, and this is how it's going to impact the finances," then you have to bring in the rest of the board. You have to bring in the advisory board to talk to them. Uh, you have to get thoughts from all parties because, as John has always said, this isn't our club. That's not the point. This is supposed to be the community's club. We are fortunate that we have an incredible volunteer staff. And at the end of the day, that's what we all are. You know, there is there is no volunteers getting paid. Um, people running game day operation doesn't work like that. These are truly just volunteers who believe in what we're doing and want to contribute something positive to our community. I think we kind of keep it simple, Nick. Um, you know, there, the, Brian, myself, and Morgan have basically have access to the checkbook. And I get a text message every time somebody spends money, which is kind of nice. But um, I can't keep, I can't do something and it not be visible to Brian because he gets into the bank account. And I think at this point, uh, Morgan doesn't spend money 
unless she runs it by me. If we're, if you know, like if she's ordering, um, she ordered medals for the 5K. You know, she goes, hey, this is how much the medals are. This is the cheapest I can get them and whatever. And then she kind of gets in, uh, um, unofficial approval from me, I guess, so that nobody's just doing things without asking, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really not a, eventually Brian's going to see it. And, um, but I think, I think certainly, I guess myself, Nick, when you do advertising, you usually run that by me. Yeah. And I, I don't, uh, to Brian's point, there isn't, there isn't senior oversight that, well, you guys should have ran this by, no, if, I mean, we, we trust ourselves and, and you in the media end of it. Mm-hmm. And we, we trust the people to manage their part of what they're managing. And if, if Nick says there's, I think there's benefits to doing some Facebook advertising. I, that's why you're in that role to make those kinds of decisions. So exactly. I think we just, uh, we all kind of operate on good faith. And at the end of, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, the end of the quarter, Brian sees it all. And Brian has to file each expense according to, you know, marketing, uh, staff, blah, 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 whatever it might be. I mean, he, he has to organize all that. So nothing is, nothing can really be done and kept a secret. Trust only gets you so far though, right? At what point do we consider the process needing to be slightly more rigid and restricted? I think as we grow, I mean, I, I think as, as there's growth, I mean, I think um, as Brian said, obviously we're all volunteers. And I think if, if, if we get to the point where we're handling so much money or so many different transactions right now, especially this season, you count transactions on one hand in a month. Hmm. It's very easy to see what's going on. And even during the season, a lot of our stuff we pay at the end of the year, athletic trainers, fields, a lot of that stuff is kind of a one hit (laughs) thing. Quite honestly, I think, I think um, I'm curious what Brian thinks about this, but, to me, it's kind of like nobody wants to do more. We're all doing kind of as much as we can now, I think. And to say, hey, I need a vote from the board of directors for every expense over $100 is just asking them to respond to one more thing, one more message, email, whatever, that I don't. I also don't want to get to the point where our volunteers get burnt out of the nonstop requests for decisions and information yep that's that's a really a key point is is as i mentioned we're all volunteers here we all have our own full-time lives and full-time jobs and everything that goes along with that so this is just something we're doing on the side so to add more work to this would be a bigger challenge one more question before we go to break remind me what sort of nonprofit we are a five we're, we're a 501c4 we're a, we're a nonprofit in the, the state of Illinois. Right. Okay. Why are we that sort of nonprofit? This is me being English, I suspect, as much as anything. But was that what was the thought process of going down that route as opposed to the what other routes there were? Well, John, do you want to talk yeah. about the uh, yeah the, the... the nonprofit? Um, I've talked about that in in some previous of why we decided to go nonprofit in general. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we felt it was important to reiterate to our community that this was a, um, you know, for a good cause passion project. And I think Mm -hmm. that uh, provided some validity to that claim instead of saying, well, we're not trying to make money, but it's an LLC and I'm an owner and Brian's an owner or whatever. 
Um, so that's why we went nonprofit. But the 501c4, I wish I could explain it better. We applied to be a C3 so that donations were tax deductible. Um, but because of the, I think I ended up over 60 pages of information that we had to provide in background of what our club was about, how we were going to operate, who was going to get paid, who wasn't going to get paid, where are we going to play games? What's the mission? I mean, it was, it, it took, a, I think it was about nine months in total. Um, and the way they classify different things in the IRS, we came back as a C4. So we're still a nonprofit. Um, federally, you know, um, also, but it just meant that a, a, a straight donation to us is not tax deductible. We have found that not to be an issue because basically everybody that donates isn't donating. They're getting, they're providing, they're doing a marketing expense basically. So they're getting something in return. And this is where Brian's financial background helps. If you get something in return, you can't write it off as a donation. Is that correct? Uh, say that part again, John. If, if you get something in return, you cannot if, write it off. If, if they... Yeah, if I write if I write a check to DeKalb County United for a thousand bucks, but I say, well, you need to put the Hall family on a banner. That's not a donation anymore. That's a marketing transaction, right? That's correct. But also, the differences between the C four and the C three, five hundred one C four donations in general are not deductible, and that's what speaks to uh, John's comments about marketing expenses. So businesses that that make donations to us, even though I just used the word donation, they're advertising. And that's why you see various logos on our uniform. Those are advertising expenditures to the, to the business, but they're not outright charitable donations. So if we had our way, we would have been a 501c3. But in spite of our efforts and corresponding with the IRS, they awarded us the 501c4. All right. That makes sense. If everyone gave us money and was anonymous, we could be a 3C. But as soon as I want recognition for it, some form or other, then we have to be a C4. Any, anyone can give us money. They would not get a tax deduction yeah. for it. Gotcha. That's the, that's the key differentiator. So, Nick, if, if you wanted to say, hey, here's $1,000, well, that's really generous of you. It doesn't help you in any way in your, <laughs> in your tax return. But I don't, I don't uh, disagree with you making that decision. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to pause here for a brief advert. Stay on the line, guys, um, and we'll be back as soon as we can be. Okay, then, we are back in the room. Thank you for listening to those adverts and sticking with us. Brian, what would you say are the biggest challenges in terms of keeping up with the finances day in, day out? I think the biggest challenges are, are twofold. One of them I mentioned earlier, the fact that we're all volunteers and this is this is kind of a side job for us. So we all have our own full-time lives. We all have our own full-time jobs of varying demands uh, that we're already trying to keep up with. The second one, though, John talked earlier about the, the relatively small number of transactions we're seeing right now. And that's because we don't have any seasons in place. But in our experience over the last couple of years, when we're operating normal seasons, there could be hundreds, if not thousands of transactions that need to be tracked, monitored, and categorized as part of our tax filing. And that can be very tedious. So John and I have talked about that quite a bit over time, and we've talked about different ways to track it. At this point, I just use Microsoft Excel. It just works the best for me. I know there's various services out there that we could uh, consider. 
but that's how we're handling it right now. But when we think about our, our day camps for kids in the community or game day where people are swiping cards for merchandise or ticket purchases, all of these transactions come through and I need to identify what each one of them are. And I think that's, that's really the biggest demand for me. Brian and I have gone back and forth. Okay. Game day, people come in $5 ticket, $5 ticket, $10 ticket, $20 for four tickets. Da, 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 da. And then for the next three hours, we see $28 purchase for a hoodie and $32 purchase for a hoodie and a koozie and da, 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 da. And at the end of the night, after every game, about three hours later, I think Brian goes home and has a cold one and, and goes through, um, whether it's Square or PayPal or whatever our payment processor is, and he goes through and tries to figure out just what the heck people were buying. And, you know, do we, so, so one of the things that we struggle with is uh, somebody I think asked us on, on Twitter about what percentage of your revenue is merchandise sales. And I don't think we have that figure because it's very difficult. I mean, we could go through past years transactions probably and figure that out, but mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something, it's not like at the forefront of kind of where we're at at this point. Again, it's something we could dig into, but we're limited on our time. We're limited on our ability to, to kind of get in the weeds on some of these things. It doesn't matter. At the bottom, at the bottom line, Brian tells me on game night, we made this much in ticket sales and merchandise, and we spent this much on field rental referees, athletic trainers. I think we were in the black by $400, or I think we were about 200 in the red tonight. And that's just kind of a snapshot of the day. And, and I, I think there's always room, Brian, you'd agree. There's always room that we could improve really into the analytics of the dollars and cents. And at this point in our, in our lifespan here, year three ish, we're still very much like, you know, let's keep, let's keep adding to it and adding to it and, and monitor where we're going to be at the end of the year, sort of. Mm-hmm. And and the point you made there, that was one of the favorite things that I love to do after every game. It doesn't matter what time we're getting home. I immediately look at, all right, how much did we make? What were the costs of the game? Did we did we come out ahead or were we behind? And then I fire that that message off to the rest of the board and let them know, hey, it was a good night or or hey, we we're in the red by this much. And and that's kind of a gauge we use to get a sense of what is a what does a home game either provide us or what does it cost us? And that, and that's a, a key statistic that we rely on. I think it's interesting. Back in the day when we were talking about the initial budget job, you said, you know, you can't, can't finalize everything because it's all ethereal. It's all just pie in the sky numbers. But there must have been a percentage you had in mind of merchandising sales and what that was going to bring in. And we were having spoken to Andy the other day um, from Indiana Old Boys. He said that he vastly miscalculated scarf revenue. So whilst we don't know, or you're saying you don't know what came what comes in individually through merchandising, there must be a ballpark figure, or maybe there was a ballpark figure that you had in mind of whether it's ten percent or ninety-seven percent or something. We did it simplistically. I think we took, you know, let's let's say we based it on an eight game, eight home game schedule. And if I remember right, Brian, we did all right, we're gonna try. We're gonna budget that we're gonna sell one hundred and fifty dollars worth of merchandise. It's exactly what we did, and and that just you know okay, so that turns into what twelve hundred dollars, mm-hmm. pretty close, and that was the number that we had. And then in a different line item, we have 
cost of buying merchandise, which generally is half of that. So we have an ad of 1200 up above, but in expenses, we have a merchandise purchase, you know, inventory of 600. And so it very much fluctuates. If you sell more, obviously you spend more. And it was just a guess that we, we always, we always try to put in for expenses, a conservative number that we, we think we won't overstep. And then we try to lowball the income. You know, obviously there was days when we have three, 400 people, especially that didn't already have a hoodie or a shirt or a hat. We sold a bunch of that stuff and we might do five or 600 in a night or a thousand in a night. But then you have a rainy, nasty weather day where people don't show up and we might sell a hundred dollars worth of merchandise. So it's very, you know, it's very fluid. And I think it would be great to be able to dive into it. We're just not necessarily going to put that time into it yet. Um, That's right, John. One of the, one of the biggest uh, impacts of every home game on whether it was a, a positive income night or a negative income night was unfortunately the weather, like you talked about. And if storms were coming through, you could bet that we weren't going to have that many walk-up tickets. And if it was 75 degrees and sunny and our game was at 6 p.m. on a Saturday night, it was probably going to be a pretty good night. And that's usually how it played out. So like everything else in the Midwest, we're at the mercy of the weather on any given night that we're playing. The risk for us, though, is if the game is canceled or or we just don't have any fans, but we still play, those expenses don't go away. And if we don't have the income to offset it, that's where we can get ourselves in trouble. And so that's why we're so mindful of this and why we're always looking at it as we go throughout the season. It appears to me, as a, again, as a layman, that within reason, our expenditures should now be fairly fixed, give or take, you know, price rises or whatever, but we're not going to be paying for a different thing until we grow into a different size club. But Field costs are set. We Kit costs are set. Insurance is set, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is it as simple as expenditures are going to be X and income can be Y times four? Or every year do we not know what expenditure is going to be until the last possible moment? No, I, I think you're right, Nick. I think that in general, we have a very good handle at this point, especially with it being our third year of what our overall expenditures are going to be. Yeah, ballpark. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty much on top of that. But one of the things that John and I have specifically talked about and the great thing about our new league is the ability to help control those as best as possible, not only from a, a league registration fee, but travel costs and anything that goes along with that. You know, if you're asking the guys to, to drive themselves up to, to Minnesota for some reason or to, or to Michigan, well, that's really difficult for them. And then you start to make a debate, well, should we be riding a bus and who's going to drive the bus? And, and if they're eight hours away, you know, do they need to have a hotel and, and so on down the line? By keeping the teams local and having complete control over that, that's what helps to keep us around year after year because we have direct control over what those costs are because we know every other team we're playing every other team in our league is dealing with the exact same thing we're dealing with gotcha um aside from the finances what else are you involved with at the club so i i've obviously on the board and have been around since the beginning of all of this so i've been involved with 
pretty much all of the decisions that we've made over time and, and kind of helped to get us to where we are today uh, and what we are. Um, from a game day perspective, though, like everyone or every one of our other volunteers, I'm, I'm doing something to help run the game day operation. The last couple of years, it seems I've been involved with uh, tickets at the gate. And so I'll, I'll hang out there in general for the first half until we, we shut down ticket collection at halftime. But I try and try and greet our fans. I try and recognize our fans, encourage them to come back. Uh, but otherwise, before games, we're, we're setting up banners. We're doing everything to get the game ready. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else in that regard. So uh, my, my role really morphs into whatever is necessary, like everyone else does on game day to get the, get the product on the field. Sure, sure. John, is there anything that you'd want Brian to do that he doesn't do? Yeah, but we don't have enough time. Um, no, no. I, and, and I think I think that that's one of the things, um, because Brian's been around since the beginning, um, having somebody who understands the entire history, and as he said, I mean, he was involved with um, coaching interviews with me, um, all kind. Of, I mean, everything, because because he's got the history now. And I think that kind of stuff is, extremely valuable because he doesn't have to be super active day to day, but darn it. When I got something comes up, I called him the other day because I thought of something and I need that sounding board, you know, and I, and I, sometimes I go to him. Sometimes I go to somebody else. Sometimes I go to you, Nick, some, and I, I kind of spread it around. So none of you get too sick of me. Nick might be getting close to that now, but it's not um, working. Tell you that now. It's not working. Well, but, but I think that's the great thing. And we've talked about it on, on previous um, podcasts that you can't just have people that all agree with you. If Brian just said, yeah, John run with it. Great idea. That, that doesn't add value, but the fact that he provides different ideas or, the what ifs to my crazy ideas. Um, that's more important than if there, you know, if there was day-to-day stuff, mm-hmm. that's, I, like, we got that, we got that handled. I need that, that the person with some history that understands where we started and how we got here and can see the long term and kind of where we may or may not be able to go depending on quite honestly, where the money goes. You know, it, to your point, Nick, yes, expenses are X amount of dollars a year. That's bare bones minimum. But the only way we know if we're going to make that money is by going through that season. Did we have good weather? Did people show up? Did people show up even if it was bad weather, which would really be special. And if we get to four times our expenses, that's when we can look at other things. Maybe we need to hire an executive director to manage the day to day. Maybe we need to look at investing in a home ground of our own. Maybe we need mm-hmm. to look at other initiatives that would help us long-term. Maybe there's more we can do to support the community then, because if we had a million dollars in the bank, that doesn't do our community or our club any good. The point is to create the experience and to create the opportunity for the players and for the supporters and for their, all the good things we're able to give back within the community that, you know, until we see the, the consistency of that revenue, we can, once we have that consistency, we can adjust the way we spend and the way we allocate those resources. And and on top of that, John, if we had that scenario where we had the four times expenses and, and we were really sitting pretty and we were sitting on this cash, I think the first thing we would consider is how do you deploy some of that cash 
to help reduce future expenditures. You know, we've had these conversations uh, talking about, do you look and acquire your own complex? Do you, do you find some farmland and somehow you put a field on it? And, and how would that look? Is that even realistic? And we've had those conversations and actually explored some things to see if that was something that we can pull off. Now, we haven't done it yet, but those are the things that we're always thinking about. And I'm sure the people that are listening to this podcast, to hear anyone think about you're going to go out and try and acquire your own field, how on earth do you even get to that point? Well, that, that's why we're trying to be forward thinking. So if we can get to there, we, we've already given it consideration and we have some ideas on how to take the next steps. Yeah, for sure. I mean, John, you've alluded to it, Andy alluded to it in the podcast that's going to come out soon. Like the number one expense, the first thing that anyone wants to throw money at is field costs. Um, Brian, is there one thing or many things that, because you said right at the beginning that you weren't a soccer, but you, you played and, you know, whatever, but you weren't a soccer administrator, were you, in any way, shape or form before this came along? So what took you by surprise? I, I think the thing that took me most by surprise was understanding the the tax filings that were necessary when you're doing something like this. And, and I talked about a little bit with the, uh, with the accountant that we work with and making sure he has the information necessary to get these things filed. Um, but I did not have any experience prior to this on, on filing those returns. So that was the biggest unknown for me is, is what goes along into that. And, and it can be quite a bit. So I would encourage anyone if you were to pursue something like this, make sure you have an accountant in your corner that can help you walk through so you're staying on the uh, on the right side of what you're supposed to be doing. And just for clarity, you're not a bona fide accountant, are you? You just work in finance. Correct. I am not a CPA. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, John, given your relationship with Brian, is there a question I haven't asked that you think there's valuable knowledge in there that we should get out? More from a curiosity, because Brian and I've never had this. Well, maybe we have, but I'm curious, Brian, looking back on three years of history and what we've done and what we haven't done. Um, are there things, especially early on, that you think we could or should have allocated resources and money to that we didn't or things that we did and we shouldn't have? I cannot think of anything that we threw money at that in hindsight was was a really bad idea and I, I i look back on one of our early meetings so there's the five of us in the room we have a little bit of money in the bank and we get to make that the first decision about okay what do we do with it and and we came up with some ideas we went around the table we we came up with proposals and what we did and if i remember correctly one of the first things we bought were the scarves and the logic behind that was if you have some cash and you can, you can buy something and then sell it at a higher cost and, and make a little bit more money, you're taking the limited money you have and you're, you're bringing even more into the club. But those early on conversations, those were really difficult because we didn't know how much we were going to have in resources. We didn't even know if this was going to be a thing. We didn't know if the community was even going to be uh, fully behind us once it actually came out. So there's nothing in hindsight that I say, I wish we hadn't done that because even things that didn't necessarily work. And I can't think of any off the top of my head, unless you have Char something. Charter John, buses. But, okay. We tried something. This, this wasn't necessarily the right thing, but now we know. Yeah. 
you know, we just didn't necessarily know what was a good thing, what wasn't a good thing, uh, what we needed to do or not do. So we've taken every one of these experiences and learned from, and I think that's helped us in the coming year. And the same question to you, Brian, Um, either a question I haven't asked you, John hasn't asked you, or a question you'd like to ask John. Well, uh, keep it clean. I think that, I think the key is, is John, how, how are you feeling running the club the way you're running the club and the demands on your plate and everything going on in your life? How are you able to keep up with everything that goes along with this? And what is something that you could do better if there is anything that would help take something off your plate? That is a uh, daily question I ask myself. Um, and you mentioned it. We have an amazing group of volunteers. A handful of them I speak to. Nick and I probably talk every day, even if just a text message. Morgan and I probably talk similarly every day, five times a week, whatever. You know, hey, what about this? What do you think about this? What about this? Um, I would love to get to a point, as I've said, where I didn't necessarily have to be the driver of many of our initiatives. And I think it's improved a lot, but I I get, I'm personally not burnt out or anything, but this is year three. And it, as I don't want this to be John's thing. And it's, it's a time, time will create that. Well, it's John's thing. He's been doing it for 10 years now. And I want to get to a point where I can walk in and go, Hey guys, I'm, I'm stepping down, whatever, December. I'm going to help you. Let's transition, but we're going to make this transition and I'm going to help you make this transition and I'm going to stay involved. But I I want to get to the point where I feel comfortable that I could do that. Not that I want to leave. I'd like to do this for a hundred years, but um, that's, I mean, I, I think about that, you know, how am I ever going to be able to get out if I'm involved with everything? And Nick keeps me very honest that you shouldn't be dealing with that. Leave it alone. And I appreciate the, uh, the consultation and the guidance to step away. But, um, but I think at this point we're still young and we still need that nurturing and we need that, whatever it is that I do, you guys can tell me if you disagree, but I think somebody still has to kind of push the whole thing because if, if we're not pushing, then, you know, we don't have advisory board meetings. We don't have anything. And then coaches don't know what's going on. People don't know what's going on. There's no communication. And I think we're just, we're, we're a young club. We're a third year amateur club Mm -hmm. in the United States that is not a very strong soccer nation. So we're still carving out our identity. I love that people like us on Twitter and, and we have a lot of respect across the country, but it isn't, that isn't really going to make us viable long-term. We have to continue to connect with the people in our town by doing good things, by bringing in new people to our leadership group, to our volunteer group, bringing in new business relationships, bringing in uh, community influencers, as I call them. Because Brian and I can talk all day and Nick and I can talk all day. and You guys can talk all day, but there's only so many ideas that are coming out of that group and we're doing well, but you guys know that's finite 
And I think that's where we need to always be expanding, always be bringing in new people and doing things. So I answered a lot of different things, probably not even your original <laughs> question. Yeah. You answered, uh, you answered several different things in there. Um, just to put a bow on it. If you're thinking about doing something like this and you don't have a group of, of 10 passionate people around you, you probably need to keep brainstorming before you, before you take on a project like this, because John, if it was just you, or if it was just the original board and no one else, we'd never be what we are today. That wouldn't happen. Right. Um, so that, that's uh, one point I'd like to make. Uh, the second thing is <clears throat> the, the driving aspect of it and everything that we put in this to try and make our game day operations special. We've also learned enough at this point that we can generally put those on cruise control in terms of how we set up for a field, in terms of who does what, in terms of who runs what position and so on. At this point, what we do is we try and find ways to, to the point you made, push ourselves a little bit and make that experience a little bit better. And that's all part of the learning and, and having games and, and going through things and seeing what worked and what didn't work. Word of mouth, yeah. people coming and having a good experience and then telling their friend and neighbor is... I think my own opinion is more valuable than any amount of money we could throw at marketing. All right, Brian, if anyone's got any questions that we haven't asked, how is the best way, what is the best way of them reaching you? Uh, email's probably the best, bcvanburen at gmail.com. Lovely. And okay. you could, you could uh, Brian, you get the contact email as well right you get the club i do email. get the contact email yes so yeah, that's so you can website. send it through the contact email i'll get it that way uh but otherwise my personal email works just fine excellent and if all else fails just shout on twitter at dkc united and one of us will catch it and we'll forward your details onto, onto brian not from at all brian thank Absolutely. you very much for taking time out of your weekend to do this we appreciate it you're welcome thanks for having me not a problem at all john same to you absolutely thank you nick I can't hear you! Now the time has come for leaving fear Now we shall return We were so glad we could make it But so sad we gotta run Well it might be a long time Till we raise another Next time, we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah. Well